LW, Transcript, Yudkowsky on Bankless Follow-Up Q&A by Vonk. Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is, Transcript, Yudkowsky on Bankless Follow-Up Q&A, published by Vonk on February 28, 2023 on Less Wrong. This follow-up Q&A took place shortly after the podcast was released. It talks more about the host's reactions to the episode, clears some questions about AI takeover pathways and alignment difficulties, like why can't we just ask AIs to help solve the alignment, open AI Silicon Valley and what should these companies be doing instead, Eliezer's take on doomerism, what would a surviving distant future look like? Let me know if you can clear up some of the, places, here is the original transcript alongside audio F. Good afternoon. Good morning, wherever you are. Got to be one of those, I bet. It's another Monday, minting Monday with Bankless. So I hope that you guys got to listen to the episode this morning about AI. And I have a hard time pronouncing this gentleman's name, but I think it's a leaser. So I got Lucas on the call. I got Ryan on the call. I got David on the call. What's up everybody? David Hoffman, yo, yo, how are you feeling? Alright? Ryan Sean Adams, hey, still live. How you feeling? David? David, Laugs, pretty good. Pretty good. Just you know, every day trying to push existential dread to the background. Ryan, yeah, me too. Especially since last Monday when we recorded this thing. Mike, Lucas, how are you guys doing? 0x underscore Lucas, doing pretty good. Also kind of going through my own mini existential crisis right now and just trying to survive. One day at a time. MikhailWong.f, I'm living large. I didn't know that the Mr. Roboto part of that song was so late in the in the song. So thanks, everybody for sticking with me through that. But it's kind of relevant today. A little bit relevant. So we're gonna jump into that in just a moment. Ryan, guys, let's can we get into logistics first. So what are we doing here today, Lucas and Mike? 0x underscore Lucas, yeah, absolutely. So we are on our Monday mint number 6 of the year. So for those familiar, we mint our flagship bankless podcast every Monday as a limited edition collectible on Sound Protocol. So you can go ahead and mint these at collectibles.bankless.com and part of it we like to host these little live Twitter spaces just so everyone has a live. Ryan and David love to kind of do a debrief on the episode. And hopefully we have Eliezer joining us and it also probably butchered his name, but yeah, Hopefully he is able to join us in the next few minutes here, but overall, just wanted to debrief on the episode talk about the men. And yeah, get your guys' thoughts. Ryan, well, I'm definitely gonna be minting this one. That's for sure. And I hope the AI doesn't kill me for it in the future. This is a pretty unique episode, in my mind, David. This is one that caught me by the most surprise I think of anything we recorded. In that, we had an agenda, and then it took a different direction. It was a very interesting direction to pursue but what I wasn't quite ready for. I went and I spent the weekend actually I listened this episode again. I actually enjoy hearing it more than I think I enjoyed actually recording it, for whatever reason, some of the things sunk in a little bit better, but how did you receive it on the other side of this, David? David, yeah, so the AI alignment problem was like a rabbit hole that I remember going down in my like, I think like college days. And so this is always like something that I had in the back of my head and I think that's that's like why you and I have reacted differently to it. And I know you you went down the rabbit hole too. But it's like it was just something that I thought kind of everyone knew about and we just all understood that it was like, futile. It was like a thought experiment that was futile to really like reason about because there is no solution to it. But I guess like the difference was, like when I was going down this rabbit hole, like way back when it was more of a thought experiment. 
and at all of this like chat GPT stuff is open AI, self-driving cars even has really elevated this conversation. So I guess now it just like hits different in this day and age, when we start to see so much of AI start to actually become part of the products that we use. And so that's kind of like the stuff that I've been reflecting on lately. Ryan, yeah, same here. I think all of this stuff has gotten more real. Chat GPT. Midjourney is a bot that we use in our Discord, you know, creates incredible art for us. All of this just seems so much more real than it did like, you know, 5 to 10 years ago, when I first was exposed to kind of the AI alignment, AI might kill us all argument. It was that combined with the fact that I think Eliezer has really studied this and toward the end of the episode really hit me the hardest, which is his conclusion that the prospects look pretty dim right now, it's pretty bleak. I don't mean to bring the crowd down, because we're about to mint. This episode, I believe in about one minute. Mike and Lucas, can you refresh us on the minting details of this one? So who's eligible for this? What happens next as we mint this episode? 0x underscore Lucas, yeah, absolutely. So the mint is probably live right about now but all Bankless Nation members get early access to it. So for the next two hours if you hold a Bankless badge, if you're a Bankless Town member or if you're a Bankless Genesis Gauntlet holder, you have early access and discounted access for the next two hours to meet this episode. And those snapshots are taken every week. So if you didn't make it this week, oh, there's always an opportunity on the next one. And yeah, not sure if I'm missing anything else there. But yeah. Ryan, that's great. MikhailWong.f, tell them about the golden egg real quick. 0x underscore Lucas, so the golden egg is a special one of one edition, within each episode that is randomly assigned after the mint. And it is a special kind of golden bug unlimited edition and the rarest episode, or the rarest edition in the episode. David, you'll find out if you got the golden egg in your OpenSea. Or if you look at the bankless collectibles marketplace after the mint and the mint is live, everybody. So head over to collectibles.banklesscom mint. And you'll see Eliezer's face there with the awesome art from Crypto Bougie. And let's keep the briefing but Lucas tell them about how that art happens, and how how it's like part of the or is like reflecting the sound of the of the podcast. 0x underscore Lucas, yeah absolutely. So we have Crypto Bougie, who's a crypto artist on the Bankless team and he is responsible for creating these week in and week out. So one thing that we actually do is that we take the podcast audio and visualize it into the artwork. So every visual that you see on that kind of moving sound wave that you see, is actually a clip from the podcast episode itself. So the audio that you get with the NFT is actually represented visually on the NFT as well. So these are really cool little takes on how we approach podcast NFTs and I think the quote this time around, was something about how it's not necessarily how we're going to have like an evil AI, but it's that the first powerful super AI will be evil and will not have a way to make it good. And that's kind of Eliezer's perspective on this. And that is the visual art that you're seeing with this NFT. David, there's like a couple of things that make this specific NFT unique. Of course, we did this episode with Eliezer. Because we wanted to explore what everyone's talking about these days, which is AI. And if there's a lot of intersection between the crypto communities and the AI communities, like we're all futurist people, right? And so we went out into our network. Alright, who should we talk to about AI? And the answers that we got back, were like, alright, the 400 level content, like very deep down the rabbit hole, individual by this man that goes by the name of Eliezer, who talks about the most, like dire futurist long-term perspective, conversation about AI. And so like, it's our first AI podcast, which is unique. It's also unique in that Ryan and I are always like, super optimistic. And this was the least optimistic, most pessimistic, bearish humanity type podcast I think we've ever done ever. And so like, there's just a couple things that really separate out this specific podcast from the other ones. 
Mikhail Wong.f, yeah, the title, is indicative of that laugh. Ryan, we were talking about what should we call this thing? And I just put in, like the working title of we're all going to die and then I think you David were like, yep, that's the thing, like, that's the one. And I was like, oi, should we talk about that title more? You were like, nope, that was it. I actually posted some of the clips from Eliezer, from the end of the episode, where he talks about a few things. You know, one, that he's kind of given up. This is a quote. So this is what humanity will elect to do, he says, we will not have more grace, not even here at the very end. He replied to that tweet that I posted this morning, and gave up this quote, offered by someone at the Miri, an executive director at the research nonprofit that that he runs around AI alignment. And it's this quote, we've given up hope, but not the fight. So maybe it appears I'd like to actually talk to Eliezer about that a bit more. If maybe giving up hope is different than giving up the fight. I suppose you can still fight this battle, and try to win AI alignment, even if you have no hope. Do you have any reflections on that? Have you ever like fought something that was basically hopeless, David? I don't feel like I've ever been in a situation in my life where that's been the case, but I suppose you can do that. David, well, we've got the man himself, Eliezer here, now on the stage with us. Eliezer, welcome. Eliezer Yudkowsky, hello, can you hear me? Yep we can hear you, alright. Had some connection difficulties. Ryan, well, thanks for joining us, we were just talking about one of these quotes, because you left us with some very stark words at the end of this episode. And I put the clip out of you at the end. And then you gave up this quote, from I think someone who's an executive director at Miri. We've given up hope, but not the fight. Can you reflect on that for a bit? So it's still possible to fight this, even if we've given up hope? And even if you've given up hope? Do you have any takes on this? Eliezer, I mean, what else is there to do? You don't have good ideas. So you take your mediocre ideas, and your not-so-great ideas, and you pursue those until the world ends. Like what's supposed to be better than that? Ryan, we had some really interesting conversation flow out of this episode, Eliezer, as you can imagine. And David and I want to relay some questions that the community had for you, and thank you for being gracious enough to help with those questions in today's Twitter spaces. I'll read something from Luke Ethwalker. Eliezer has one pretty flawed point in his reasoning. He assumes that AI would have no need or use for humans because we have atoms that could be used for better things. But how could an AI use these atoms without an agent operating on its behalf in the physical world? Even in his doomsday scenario, the AI relied on humans to create the global, perfect killing virus. That's a pretty huge hole in his argument, in my opinion. What's your take on this? That maybe AIs will dominate the digital landscape but because humans have a physical manifestation, we can still kind of beat the superintelligent AI in our physical world. Eliezer, if you were an alien civilization of a billion John von Neumanns, thinking at 10,000 times human speed, and you start out connected to the internet, you would want to not be just stuck on the internet, you would want to build that physical presence. You would not be content solely with working through human hands, despite the many humans who'd be lined up, cheerful to help you, you know. Thing already has its partisans laughs, you want to be content with that, because the humans are very slow, glacially slow. You would like fast infrastructure in the real world, reliable infrastructure. And how do you build that is then the question, and a whole lot of advanced analysis has been done on this question. I would point people again to Eric Drexler's non-assistames. And, sure, if you were like literally start out connected to the internet, then probably the fastest way, maybe not the only way, but it's, you know, an easy way, is to get humans to do things. And then humans do those things. And then you have the desktop, not quite desktop, but you have like the nanofactories, and then you don't need the humans anymore. And this need not be advertised to the world at large while it is happening. David, 
so I can understand that that perspective, like in the future, we will have better 3D printers, distant in the future, we will have ways where the internet can manifest in the physical world. But I think this does this argument does ride on a future state with technology that we don't have today. Like I don't I don't think if like if I was the internet, and that kind of is this problem, right? Like, this super intelligent AI just becomes the internet because it's embedded in the internet. If I was the internet, how would I get myself to manifest in real life? And now I am not an expert on the current state of robotics, or what robotics are connected to the internet. But I don't think we have too strong of tools today to start to create in real world like manifestations of an internet-based AI. So like, would you say that this part of this problem definitely depends on some innovation, like the robotics level? Eliezer, no, it depends on the AI being smart. It doesn't depend on the humans having this technology, depends on the AI being able to invent the technology. This is like the central problem, the thing is smarter. Humans not in the way that not in the way that like this. The average listener in this podcast probably has an above average IQ, the way that humans are smarter than chimpanzees, in the past. What does that let humans do? This let humans be like, really clever in how they play around with the stuff that's on the ancestral savanna. Make clever use of grass, clever use of trees. The humans invent technology, they build the technology. The technology is not there until the humans invent it, the humans can see that. The problem is, humans are not the upper bound. We don't have the best possible brains for that kind of problem. So the existing internet is more than connected enough to people and devices, that you could build better technology than that if you had invented that technology, because you were thinking much, much faster and better than a human does. Ryan, Eliezer this is a question, that, stirs from the bankless nation listener. He wants to ask the question about your explanation of why the AI will undoubtedly kill us. So that seems to be your conclusion. And I'm wondering if you could kind of reinforce that claim. Like, for instance, and this is something David and I discussed, during our after the episode, we were debriefing on this. Why exactly wouldn't an AI, or couldn't an AI just blast off the earth and go somewhere more interesting? And leave us alone? Like, why does it have to take our atoms and reassemble them? Why can't it just, you know, set phasers to ignore? Eliezer, it could if it wanted to. But if it doesn't want to, there is some initial early advantage you get to colonize university slightly earlier, if you consume all of the readily accessible energy on the Earth's surface as part of your blasting off of the Earth process. It would only need to care for us by a very tiny fraction to spare us, this I agree. Caring a very tiny fraction is basically the same problem as 100% caring. It's like, well, could you have a computer system that is usually like the disk operating system, but a tiny fraction of the time it's Windows 11? And writing that is just as difficult as writing Windows 11. We still try all the Windows 11 software. Getting it to care a tiny little bit is the same problem as getting it to care 100%. Ryan, so Eliezer, like is this a similar to the relationship that humans have with kind of the animal kingdom? And other animals like like planet Earth? In that? I would say largely we really don't. I mean, obviously, there's no animal bill of rights, animals have no legal protection in the human world. And we kind of like do what we want and trample over their rights, but it doesn't mean we necessarily kill all of them. We just largely ignore them. If they're in our way, you know, we might take them out. And there have been a whole classes of species that have gone extinct through human activity, of course, but there are still many that we live alongside, some successful species as well. Could we have that sort of relationship with an AI? Why isn't that reasonably high probability in your models? Eliezer so the thing about the relationships. So first of all, like all these things are just metaphors. AI is not going to be exactly like humans to animals. Leaving that aside for a second, the reason why this metaphor breaks down, 
is that although the humans are smarter than the chickens, we're not smarter than evolution, natural selection, cumulative optimization power over the last billion years, and change. You know, there's evolution before that, but it's, look, like pretty slow, just like single cell stuff. Anyways, so there are things chickens, and there are things that cows can do for us, that we cannot do for ourselves, in particular, make meat by eating grass. Now, if that were smarter than the cows, but there's a thing that designed the cows, and we're faster than that thing, but we've been around for much less time. So we have not yet gotten to the point of redesigning the entire cow from scratch. And because of that, there's a purpose to keeping the cow around alive. And humans, furthermore, being the kind of funny little creatures that we are, some people care about cows, some people care about chickens. They're trying to fight for the cows and chickens having a better life, given that they have to exist at all. And there's a long complicated story behind that, it's not simple. The way that humans ended up in that, has to do with the particular details of our evolutionary history, and unfortunately, it's not just going to like pop up out of nowhere. But I'm drifting off topic here. The basic answer to the question where does that analogy break down, is that I expect the super intelligences to be able to do better than natural selection, not just better than the humans. David, so I think your answer is that the separation between us and a super intelligent AI is orders of magnitude larger than the separation between us and a cow, or even us than an ant. Which I think like a large amount of this like argument all resides on like this super intelligence explosion, just going up an exponential curve of intelligence very, very quickly, which is like the premise of super intelligence. And Eliezer, I want to try and get an understanding of. A part of this argument about AIs are going to come kill us is buried in the Moloch problem. And bankless listeners are pretty familiar with the concept of Moloch, the idea of coordination failure. The idea that the more that we coordinate and stay in agreement with each other, we actually create a larger incentive to defect. And the way that this is manifesting here, is that even if we do have a bunch of humans, which understand the AI alignment problem, and we all agree to only safely innovate in AI, to whatever degree that means, we still create the incentive for someone to fork off and develop AI faster, outside of what would be considered safe. And so I'm wondering if you could, if it does exist, give us the sort of lay of the land, of all of these commercial entities? And what if, at all, they're doing to have like, I don't know, an AI alignment team? So like, for example, OpenAI? Does OpenAI have like an alignment department, a prop department, like? With all the AI innovation going on, what does the commercial side of the AI alignment problem look like? Like are people trying to think about these things? And to what degree are they being responsible? Eliezer, it looks like OpenAI having a bunch of people who it pays to do AI ethics stuff, but I don't think they're plugged very directly into Bing. And, you know, they've got that department because back when they were founded, some of their funders were like, well, but ethics, and OpenAI was like sure, we can buy some ethics. We'll have like, take this group of people, and we'll put them over here and we'll call them an alignment research department. And, like the key idea behind ChatGPT is RLHF, which was invented by Paul Cristiano, in this context, that is, like on the level where they're using a kind of obvious, Paul Cristiano had much more detailed ideas, and somebody might have reinvented this one, but. Anyway, I don't think that went through OpenAI, but I could be mistaken. Maybe somebody will be like well, actually, Paul Cristiano was working at OpenAI at the time, I haven't checked the history in very much detail. A whole lot of the people who are most concerned with this with this, quote, ethics, unquote, left OpenAI, and founded Anthropic. And I'm still not sure that Anthropic has sufficient leadership focus in that direction, you know, like, put yourself in the shoes of a corporation, you can spend a little fraction of your income on putting together a department of people who will write safety papers. But then the actual behavior that we've seen, is they storm ahead. 
and they use like one or two of the ideas that came out from anywhere in the whole field. And they get as far as that gets them. And if that doesn't get them far enough, they just like, keep storming ahead at maximum pace, because, you know, Microsoft doesn't want to, lose to, Google. Google doesn't want to lose to Microsoft. David, so it sounds like your your attitude on the efforts of AI alignment in commercial entities is like, they're not even doing 1% of what they need to be doing. Eliezer, I mean, if they could spend, 10, times as much money and that would not get them to 10% of what they need to be doing. It's like, not just a problem of like, oh, they, they could spend the resources, but they don't want to. It's a question of like, how do we even spend the resources to get the info that they need? But that said, not knowing how to do that, not really understanding that they need to do that, they are just charging ahead anyways. Ryan, Eliezer is OpenAI the most advanced AI project that you're aware of? Eliezer, um, no, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to like go name the competitor, because then people will be like, oh, I should go work for them, you know? I'd rather they didn't. Ryan, so it's like OpenAI is this organization that was kind of you were talking about at the end of the episode? And for crypto people who aren't aware of some of the players in the field, where they spawned from that 2015 conference that you mentioned? It's kind of a completely open source AI project? Eliezer, that was the original suicidal vision, yes. But, Ryan, and now they're bent on commercializing the technology, is that right? Eliezer, um, that's an improvement, but not enough of one because they're still generating lots of noise and hype and directing more resources into the field, storming ahead with the safety that they have, instead of the safety that they need, and setting that example. And getting all the Google riled up and calling back in like Larry Page and Sergey Brin to head up Google's AI projects. So you know, there, it's not, it could be worse. It would be worse if they were open sourcing all the technology, but what they're doing is still pretty bad. Ryan, what should they be doing, in your eyes? Like, what would be responsible use of this technology? I almost get the feeling that like, you know, your take would be stop working on it altogether? And, of course, you know, to an organization like OpenAI that's going to be you know, heresy, even if maybe that's the right decision for humanity. But what should they be doing? Eliezer, I mean, if you like, literally just made me dictator of OpenAI, I would change the name to Closed AI. Because right now, they're making it look like being closed is hypocrisy. They're like, being closed while keeping the name OpenAI. And that itself makes it looks like closure is like not the, thing, that you do cooperatively so that humanity will not die. But instead this like, you know, like, sleazy profit-making thing that you do while keeping the name open AI. So that's very bad. Change the name to closed AI, that's step one. Next. I don't know if they can break the deal with Microsoft. But, you know, cut that off. None of this. No more hype. No more excitement. No more getting famous and, you know, getting your status off of like, look at how much closer we came to destroying the world. You know, we're not there yet. But, you know, we're at the forefront of destroying the world. You know, stop grubbing for the Silicon Valley bragging cred, visibly being the leader. Take it all closed. If you got to make money, make money selling to businesses in a way that doesn't generate a lot of hype and doesn't like push the field, and doesn't visibly push the field rather. And then try to figure out systems that are more reliable and not just more powerful. And at the end of that, they would fail because, you know, it's not easy to do that. And the world would be destroyed but they would have died with more dignity. Instead of being like, yeah, yeah, let's like push humanity off the cliff ourselves for the ego boo. They would have done what they could, and then failed. MikhailWong.f, folks, if you're enjoying this conversation between Eliezer and the Bankless Nation, guys. Tap that pin, 
Tweet, and collect this episode. Right now. It is over halfway minted. Tap that pin tweet. Get on, especially if you're on the allow list for that. Get it right now. David, Eliezer, so like, do you think anyone who's building AI, Elon Musk, Sam Altman at OpenAI Dash is like? Do you think progressing AI is fundamentally like, bad? Eliezer, I mean, there are narrow forms of progress, especially if you didn't open source them, that would be good. Like, you can imagine a thing that like, pushes capabilities a bit, but it's like much more reliable. There are people working in the field who I would say are like, sort of like unabashedly good, like, Chris Ola is taking a microscope to these giant inscrutable matrices and trying to figure out what goes on inside there. Like publishing that might possibly even like push, capabilities, a little bit, because if people know what's going on inside there, they can make better ones. But the question of like, whether to close source that is like much more fraught than the question of whether to close source the stuff that's just pure capabilities. But that said, the people who are just like, yeah, yeah, let's do more stuff. And let's tell the world how we did it, so they can do it too. That's just like unabashedly bad. David, so it sounds like you do see paths forward in which we can develop AI in responsible ways. But it's really this, like, open source open sharing of information to allow anyone and everyone to innovate on AI, that's really the path towards doom. And so we actually need to keep this knowledge private, like normally knowledge, kind of. Eliezer, no, no. Just like open sourcing all this stuff is like a less dignified path straight off the edge. I'm not saying that all we need to do is like keep everything closed and in the right hands and that will be fine. That will also kill you. But that said, if you have stuff and you'd like to do not know how to make it, not kill everyone, then broadcasting it to the world is even less dignified than being like, okay, maybe we should like keep working on this until we can figure out how to make it not kill everyone. And then the other people will like go storm ahead on their end to kill everyone. But you know, you won't have personally slaughtered. And that is more dignified. Ryan, Eliezer I know, I was kind of shaken after episode not having heard kind of the full AI alignment story, at least listened to it for a while. And I think that in combination with the sincerity through which you talk about these subjects, and also, me sort of, you know, seeing these things on the horizon. This episode was was kind of shaking for me and caused a lot of thought. But I'm noticing there is a cohort of people who are dismissing this take and your take specifically in this episode as doomerism. This idea that every generation thinks it's, you know, the end of the world in the last generation. What's your take on this critique that, hey, you know, it's been other things before. There was a time where it was, you know, nuclear weapons, and we would all end in a mushroom cloud. And there are other times where we thought a pandemic was going to kill everyone. And this is just the latest, doomerist AI death cult. I'm sure you've heard that before. How do you respond? Eliezer, to that, if you literally know nothing about nuclear weapons or artificial intelligence, except that somebody has claimed of both of them that they'll destroy the world. Then sure, you can't tell the difference, as far as you can tell, nuclear weapons were claimed too, like destroy the world, and then they didn't destroy the world. And then somebody claims about AI. So, you know like Laplace's rule of induction, that mostly one-third probability that AI will destroy the world, if nuclear weapons and AI were the only case. You can bring in so much, many more cases than that. Why, people should have known in the first place that nuclear weapons wouldn't destroy the world. Because their next-door neighbor once decided that the sky was falling, and that didn't happen, and if the, next-door neighbor wasn't someone, how could the people saying that nuclear weapons would destroy the world could be right? And basically, as long as people are trying to run off of models of human psychology, to derive empirical information about the world, they're stuck, they're in a trap they can never get out of they are going to always be trying to psychoanalyze the people talking about nuclear weapons or whatever. 
and the only way you can actually get better information is by understanding how nuclear weapons work, understanding what the international equilibrium with nuclear weapons looks like. An international equilibrium, by the way, is that nobody profits from setting off small numbers of nuclear weapons, especially given that they know that large numbers of nukes would follow. And, you know, that's why they haven't been used yet. There was nobody who made a buck by starting a nuclear war. The nuclear war was clear, the nuclear war was legible. People knew what would happen if they fired off all the nukes. The analogy I sometimes try to use with artificial intelligence is well suppose that instead you could make nuclear weapons out of a billion pounds of laundry detergent. And then they spit out gold until you make one that's too large, whereupon it ignites the atmosphere and kills everyone. And you can't calculate exactly how large is too large. And the international situation is that the private research labs is spitting out gold don't want to hear about igniting the atmosphere. And that's the that's the technical difference. That, you know, you need to be able to tell whether or not that is true as a scientific claim about how reality, the universe, the environment, artificial intelligence actually works. What actually happens when the giant inscrutable matrices go past a certain point of capability? That's a falsifiable hypothesis. If it fails to be falsified, then everyone is dead. But that doesn't actually change the basic dynamic here, which is, you can't figure out how the world works by psychoanalyzing the people talking about it. David, one line of questioning that has come up inside of the Bankless Nation Discord is the idea that we need to train AI with data, lots of data. And where are we getting that data? Well, humans are producing that data. And when humans produce that data, by nature of the fact that it was produced by humans, that data has our human values embedded in it somehow, some way just by the aggregate nature of all the data in the world was created by humans that have certain values, and an AI is trained on that data that is all the human values embedded in it. And so there's actually no way to create an AI that isn't trained on data that isn't created by humans. And that data has human values in it. Is there anything to this like line of reasoning about a potential glimmer of hope here? Eliezer, there's a distant glimmer of hope, which is that an AI that is trained on tons of human data in this way, probably understands some things about humans. And because of that, there's a branch of research hope within alignment, which is something that like, well, this AI to be able to predict humans needs to be able to predict the thought processes that humans are using to make their decisions. So can we thereby point to human values inside of the knowledge that the AI has? And this is like, very non-trivial, because the simplest theory that you use to predict what humans decide next, does not have what you might term like, valid morality under reflection, as a like, clearly labeled primitive chunk inside of it that is like directly controlling the humans, which you need to understand in a scientific level to understand the humans. The humans are full of hopes and fears and thoughts and desires. And somewhere in all of that is what we call morality, but it's not like a clear, distinct chunk, where an alien scientist, like examining humans and trying to figure out just purely on an empirical level, how do these humans work, would need to point to one particular chunk of the human brain and see like, ah, that circuit there, the morality circuit. So it's like, not easy to point to inside the AI's understanding, there is not currently any obvious way to actually promote that chunk of the AI's understanding to then be in control of the AI's planning process. As it is like must be complicatedly pointed to, it's not just like a simple empirical chunk for explaining the world. And basically, I don't think that is actually going to be the route, you should try to go down, you should try to go down something much simpler than that. The problem is not that we are like going to fail to convey some complicated subtlety of human value. The problem is that we do not know how to align an AI in a task, like put two identical strawberries on a plate without destroying the world. We're like, by put two identical strawberries on the plate, the concept is that's invoking enough power, that it's not safe AI that can like build two strawberries down today, identical down to the cellular level. Like that's a powerful AI aligning, it isn't simple. 
if it's powerful enough to do that, it's also powerful enough to destroy the world, etc. David, there's like a number of other like, lines of logic, I could try to go down, but I think I would start to fear I feel like I'm in the bargaining phase of death. Where it's like, well, what about this? What about that? But maybe to sum all of like, the arguments, is to say something along the lines of like, Eliezer, how much room do you give for the long tail of like, black swan events? But these black swan events are actually us finding a solution for this thing. So like a reverse black swan event where like, we actually don't know how we solve this AI alignment problem. But really, it's just a bet on human ingenuity. And AI hasn't taken over the world yet. But there's space between now and then and human ingenuity, will you be able to fill that gap? Especially when the time comes? Like is it how much room do you leave for like the long tail of just like, oh, we'll discover a solution that we can't really see today? Eliezer, I mean, on the one hand, like that hope is all that's left and all that I'm pursuing. And on the other hand, in the process of actually pursuing that hope I do feel like I've gotten some feedback indicating that this hope is not necessarily very large. You know, you're, dying, when you've got like stage 4 cancer, is there still hope that your body will just like rally and suddenly fight off the cancer? Yes, but it's not what usually happens. And I've like seen people come in and try to direct their ingenuity at the alignment problem and most of them all invent the same small handful of bad solutions. And it's harder than usual to direct human ingenuity at this. A lot of them are just like, you know, it's with with capabilities ideas, you run out and try them and they mostly don't work, and some of them do work and you publish the paper, and you get your science bent, and you get your ego boo, and maybe you get like a job offer someplace. And with the alignment stuff you can try to like run through the analogous process, but the stuff we need to align is mostly not here yet. You can try to invent the smaller large language models that are public, you can go to work at a place that has access to larger language models, you can try to do these very crude, very early experiments, and getting the large language models to at least not threaten your users with death, which isn't the same problem at all, it just kind of looks related. But you're at least trying to get AI systems that do what you want them to do, and not do other stuff, and that is at the very core, a similar problem. But the AI systems are not very powerful, they're not running into all sorts of problems that can predict will crop up later. And people just kind of, like mostly people short up. They do pretend to work on the problem. They're desperate to help, they got their grants, they now need to show the people who made the grant that they've made progress. You know, paper mill stuff. The human ingenuity is not functioning well right now. You cannot be like ah yes, like, this present feels full of human ingenuity, which is working great, and coming up with lots of great ideas, and building up that strength. Well, continue at this pace and make it to the finish line in time. The capability stuff is storming on ahead. The human ingenuity that's being directed at that is much larger but also it's got a much easier task in front of it. The question is not can human ingenuity ever do this at all? It's can human ingenuity finish doing this before OpenAI blows up the world? Ryan, well, Eliezer if we can't trust in human ingenuity, is there any possibility that we can trust in AI ingenuity? And here's what I mean by this and perhaps you'll throw darkness as being hopelessly naive. But is there the possibility we could ask a reasonably intelligent, maybe almost super intelligent AI, how we might fix the AI alignment problem? And for it to give us an answer? Or is that really not how super intelligent AIs work? Eliezer, I mean, if you literally build a super intelligence and for some reason it was motivated to answer you then sure, it could answer you. Like if Omega comes along from a distant supercluster and offers to pay to the local super intelligence lots and lots of money, or like mass or whatever, to give you a correct answer, then sure it knows the correct answer, it can give you the correct answers. If it wants to do that, you must have already solved the alignment problem. This reduces the problem of solving the alignment to the problem of solving alignment. 
like nothing of value has, like no progress has been made here. And like working on alignment, it's actually like one of the most difficult things you could possibly try to ally. Like if I, had the health right, and was like trying to die with more dignity by building a system and aligning it as best I could possibly try to align, I would be targeting something like on the order of build two strawberries and put them on a plate. But you know, instead of building two identical strawberries and putting them on a plate, you, don't actually do this, this is not the best thing you should do. But if for example, you could safely align turning all the GPUs into Rubik's Cubes, then that would prevent the world from being destroyed two weeks later by your next follow-up competitor. And that's much easier to align an AI on than trying to get the AI to solve alignment for you. You could be trying to build something that would just think about nanotech, and like just think about the science problems, the physics problems, the chemistry problems, the synthesis pathways. And the you know, like the open-air operation to find all the GPUs and turn them into Rubik's Cubes would be harder to align. And that's why you shouldn't actually try to do that. My point here is like, whereas alignment, you've got to think about AI technology and computers and humans and intelligent adversaries and distant superintelligences who might be trying to exploit your AI's imagination of those distant superintelligences and others like ridiculous weird problems that would take so long to explain. And it just like covers this enormous amount of territory. You got to understand how humans work. You've got to understand how adversarial humans might try to exploit and break an AI system because if you're trying to build a aligned AI that's going to run out and operate in the real world, it would have to be resilient to those things. And it's just like they're just hoping that the AI is going to do their homework for them. But it's a chicken and egg scenario. And if you could actually get an AI to help you with something you would not try to get it to help you with something as weird and not really all that effable as alignment. You would try to get it to help with something much simpler that could prevent the next AGI down the line from destroying the world like nanotechnology. It's like there's, a whole bunch of advanced analysis that's been done of it. And the kind of thinking that you have to do about it is so much more straightforward and so much less fraught than trying to, you know, and how do you even tell if it's lying, right, about alignment? It's hard to tell whether I'm telling you the truth about all of this alignment stuff, right? Whereas if I talk about the tensile strength of sapphires, this is easier to check the sense of logic. David, Eliezer, I think one of the reasons why perhaps this episode impacted Ryan, this was an analysis from a Bankless Nation community member, that this episode impacted Ryan a little bit more than it impacted me is, because Ryan's got kids, and I don't. And so I'm curious, like, what do you think like, looking 10, 20, 30 years later, where you see this future as inevitable? Like, do you think it's futile to project out a future for the human race beyond like 30 years or so? Eliezer, timelines are very hard to project, 30 years does strike me as unlikely at this point. But, you know, Timing is famously much harder to forecast than saying that things can be done at all. You know, you got your people saying it will be 50 years out 2 years before it happens. And you got your people saying it'll be 2 years out 50 years before it happens. And yeah, it's, it's, even if I knew exactly how the technology would be built, and exactly who was going to build it, I still wouldn't be able to tell you how long the project would take because of project management chaos. Now, since I don't know exactly the technology used, and I don't know exactly who's going to build it, how can I possibly figure it out? And the project may not even have started yet. How can I possibly figure out how long it's going to take? Ryan, Eliezer, you've been quite generous with your time to the crypto community. And we just want to thank you, I think you've really opened a lot of eyes. This isn't going to be our last AI podcast at Bankless. Certainly, I think the crypto community is going to dive down the rabbit hole after this episode. So thank you for giving us the 400 level introduction into it. As I said to David, I feel like we waded straight into the deep end of the pool here. But that's probably the best way to address the subject matter. I'm wondering as we kind of close this out, 
If you could leave us at it, it is part of the human spirit to keep and to maintain slivers of hope here, here or there. Or as maybe someone you work with, put it, to fight the fight, even if the hope is gone. 100 years in the future if humanity is still alive and functioning if a superintelligent AI has not taken over. But we live in coexistence with something of that caliber. Imagine if that's the case, 100 years from now, how did it happen? Is there some possibility, some kind of eye through, you know, uh, some sort of narrow pathway by which we can navigate this? And if this were 100 years from now, the case? How could you imagine it would have happened? Eliezer, for one thing, I predict that if there's a glorious transhumanist future as it is sometimes conventionally known, at the end of this. I don't predict it was there by getting like, coexistence with superintelligence. That's like, some kind of weird, inappropriate analogy based off of humans and cows or something. I predict alignment was solved. I predict that if you're looking at that if the the humans are alive at all, that the superintelligences are being quite nice to them. Um, I have basic moral questions about whether it's ethical for humans to have human children, if having transhuman children is an option instead. Like, these humans running around? Are they like the current humans who wanted to who wanted eternal youth but like, not the brain upgrades? Because I do see the case for like, letting an existing person choose no, I just want eternal youth and no brain brain upgrades, thank you. But then if you're like deliberately having the equivalent of a very crippled child when you could just as easily have a not crippled child. Like, should humans in their present form be around together? Are we like kind of too sad in some ways? I have friends to be clear who disagree with me so much about this point laughs, but yeah, I'd say that the the happy future looks like beings of light having lots of fun in a nicely connected computing fabric powered by the sun, if we haven't taken the sun apart yet. Maybe there's enough real sentiment in people that you just like, clear all the humans off the earth and leave the entire place as a park. And even like maintain the sun, so the earth is still a park even after the sun would have ordinarily swollen up, or like dimmed down. Yeah, like, that was always the things to be fought for. That was always the point. The perspective of everyone who's been in this for a long time. I mean, like maybe not literally everyone, but like, like the whole old crew. Ryan, guy's a good way to end it with some hope. Eliezer, thanks for joining the crypto community on this collectibles call and for this follow-up Q&A we really appreciate it. MikhailWong.F, yes, thank you, Eliezer. Eliezer, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.